I have to be delusional enough to think people are going to listen to this. It's thunderstorming outside. There's lightning. Hit me with it. Come on. How smart can you be when you have huge mantids? Okay, he, him. Go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner. I'll take care of this. It's just common sense. Hi there, Mr. Maker. How you doing? Excellent. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a lovely day outside, and I'm excited to talk about making things, which is so fun in this internet world that we live in. Yeah. So <laughs> for those listening, what's your background, and how did you become Mr. Maker? I, I graduated college. It was a little bit challenging to find a job. Um, this was like 2008, 2009. Mm. So I basically just started making things um, to make my own job. <laughs> so um, from 2008 to about 2016, 17, I basically just did startups um, with uh, product businesses, mostly physical products and um, some some digital. And um, I think it did eight. And then um, one of them was successful. So, <laughs> um, better than one out of 10. That's the metric. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, it's, from what I researched online, it seems like that's about, about industry average. So, um, no complaints. And yeah. So, um, in, in that process, learned a lot about, you know, how to design products, how to get them manufactured, um, both with like US and Chinese manufacturers. The span of products kind of ranges from um, just kind of, uh, tried to find holes in the market and try to fill them. Um, and the one that was uh, successful, we did a, a Kickstarter for, um, raised about half a million for it, and then um, grew that. I, after the startup scene, I kind of uh, was pretty burned out. So went to work for Tesla for four and a half years um, and uh, basically helped, uh, was the product launch manager for the Tesla shop for four and a half years and uh, arrived on Twitter as Bowtide Maker. <laughs> <laughs> we heard about a story in which Mr. Maker was burned. So he had a design, he presented it. The client ended up not talking to him and ghosting him afterwards. And then suddenly he sees the design on the internet. So somehow they had gone to China and they had produced the design without paying you for what you were earned. So could you walk us through how is that possible and how common is that? Yeah, um, I would say it's very common. Um, yeah, so I think what makes this story interesting is um, obviously the size of the client involved. <laughs> <laughs> I which, sputtered when I heard the client. <laughs> yeah, which I, I can't share for just um, legal reasons, but um, yeah, um, it happens at the very, 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 very highest level of business. I think what's, I think people, like for myself, what I didn't realize going into it is that um, anytime you're in a meeting with, in a corporate environment, um, you absolutely have to go in with the assumption that they will take advantage of you and steamroll you. That is like, that is the assumption that you absolutely have to go in there uh, with. Um, they are not there to be your friend. Um, they, uh, you know, it's very easy to, be really excited about, oh, I'm working with this like huge client. Um, and, uh, you know, forget to do the paperwork part of it, which is what I did. Um, 
And so my recommendation is definitely to, you know, prior to giving any sort of design, uh, you know, information or ideas or anything to a large corporate client um, is to, you know, get, get some work with your lawyer to get some legal protection um, around that idea um, so that if they take literally all of it and um, go to Chinese manufacturers, uh, that there is, that you can at least, like you might have to sue them obviously, but then you can at least, like for them, it's like a line, they're like, oh, you sued me. Oh no, here's like $3 million, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but at least you get some, you know, financial compensation for that, yeah. So we see this all the time with like, the first thing that comes to mind is like how Facebook steals um, Snapchat stories from Snapchat and puts it on Instagram. Like that's not something you totally. can ever protect, right? But that is just copy and paste it. And they do it for TikTok yeah. now and Instagram Reels. So there's always yeah. a concern about that. But something as blatant as like a design of a feature or a logo, like the fact that you didn't have any protection is crazy. And I actually have a personal yeah. story about this where I know someone who designed a product in their industry. Like they had worked in this industry for 20 years. They had designed best in class thing. They were a physical therapist and it was a, a tool to help them massage someone's muscles. Um, mm. And it had like a rounded edge and they went to a manufacturer to produce it. They did not have a full patent on it. And then somehow that producer, which was just a manufacturer in the United States, went to China with the design and made it on their own and undercut wow. them for price. So like yeah. they were hiring them to help them produce this thing. That is so you have unreal. to be so careful with your designs yeah. these days, right? Yeah. And I, I think the bummer part is like, um, you know, just because they're a US-based manufacturer doesn't mean that they're trustworthy, which is sad, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, I, I've been fortunate with my own actual core product businesses in the past where I've worked with US manufacturers where I had really good relationships with them and, and um, you know, I could, they were very close. I could bike to their factory and it was, it was all very, um, it all worked out. But um, I would definitely say that that is not the, not a safe assumption for sure. Um, and, you know, it's tricky because as Americans, obviously we want to work with the U.S. manufacturers to help support local business and, and everything. Um, but I think, uh, you know, there's kind of a sort of every man for himself uh, mentality out there currently mm -hmm. um, in terms of U.S. manufacturers and, and um, my own experience as well has been, there have been businesses where I've, it's kind of like more niche products and that, you know, I've gone to some U S manufacturers, um, to work with them. And there's, it's very common to come across this kind of like, um, sort of entitlement mm. attitude as far as U S manufacturers where they're like, Oh, it's like a privilege for you to work with us sort of thing. Um, and it's like, no, bro, like, like you need, our business, like mm -hmm. the level of like communication and speed and sort of attitude and stuff that is currently existing in like U.S. manufacturers, uh, definitely does not do them like a service. Um, and you know, like for one of one of the products I'm thinking about, it was like a bag, and 
I went to several US-based manufacturers and they quoted me just like absurd pricing, like $200 a bag wholesale. I was like, how am I going to sell? Like what in the world? So I grudgingly went to Alibaba and immediately got like five sales agents, like blowing up my WhatsApp, like, you know, Hey, we, we designed for this company, you know, mm -hmm. uh, shoot me a sketch of what you want and we'll price it out. And like, it was just the easiest thing ever. Um, and so I think there's, um, definitely something to be said for being cautious with, uh, us-based manufacturers and really, really like do some due diligence into their, um, background and kind of get a vibe on what their communication style is and speed is and everything. Yeah. That's so interesting because the narrative that I know is that American manufacturers are more expensive because they pay their workers better. And that's the only reason, but they're the same quality manufacturer, the same, service to the client and it's just these money hungry corporations that refuse to pay the child laborers the money that they deserve <laughs> and that's why they go to the chinese manufacturers yeah yeah it would be nice if um that was the case <laughs> <laughs> um you know i mean there's one experience i was i was down in la a plastic um Plastics manufacturer, and they, they did a lot of plastics manufacturing for um, kind of high volume products, like for Walmart and stuff like that. You know, huge machines, huge factory. For all intents and purposes, looking from the outside, should have been an amazing company to work with, right? I go in with my product. I had already had the injection mold designed. Um, I already knew what my volume was going to be. Everything was basically just basically plug and play. And I sit down with the president. He like starts out at his desk. Kind of like it's like on his phone while I'm like explaining, um, you know, the product and everything, and kind of what I'm looking at in terms of business and cost and everything. Kind of nods and and is like, mm -hmm, like actually he's interested. Um, puts his phone down, goes over to his other computer, which is like across the room, and starts organizing his iTunes library. Like while I'm in the meeting with him, and this kind of and like looks back at me like, uh huh, yeah, hmm. Okay. Oh my goodness. Like it was like, <laughs> I was just completely dumbstruck. And I, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I won't say that all American manufacturers are like that, but unfortunately I see it more than um, you would hope, hope for sure. Yeah. That is fascinating. So there is a yeah. hole in the market for quality American manufacturing. Definitely. That is customer focused once more. Definitely. For, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so is this your full-time gig now? Is that you just design products on your own time for clients, but also for yourself? Yeah, mostly just for clients right now. Um, mostly right now, what I'm doing is just kind of focusing on helping um, you know, other people that have e-com businesses or content creation um, and basically providing them with uh, super sick visual assets to sell it so visual assets meaning how do you create those so if you could walk us through like the process for thinking of and then designing using these all these cool software tools um well my favorite software actually is keyshot so keyshot is basically a rendering software that allows you to create photorealistic renders of 3d models um and it's really powerful because you can save a ton of money on studio time uh, just iteration in general. Um, 
And you can basically take an idea from an idea in your head, model, throw it in Keyshot, and basically have photorealistic assets ready to sell uh, in a very short period of time. And part of the work that I do also is actually the 3D modeling aspect of it. Because um, that can be something that's it's a little bit of a um, an in-depth skill to learn, especially for somebody who's really focused on just e-com and content creation in general. So sometimes I take an idea and then um, create the, the 3D model for it, create the, the product for that, and then um, you know shoot that in Keyshot um, with different materials, different layouts. Um, you kind of sort of set the scene for how you want the product to be presented in the world within Keyshot and then um, render out essentially photos of the product um, to be able to sell online. So Keyshot is basically you have an idea in like a sketch in your head and then you go to Keyshot to say, what if I made it in plastic? What if I made it in this exactly, type of yeah. metal? And then you can mm -hmm. see the different variations of it. Totally. Yeah. And then, so like how expensive is something like Keyshot? A hundred dollars a month is about $1,200 a year. So that's actually, they've really honestly got that down quite affordable now. So I'm interested to hear more about like the work that you've done, but I think the people listening to this are going to say, is this something I can do? Like, can I produce these things in design? So would you say that there's a high skill barrier to entry to be able to use something like Keyshot? Like, how do you acquire the ability to do this? Um, I would say for Keyshot, not at all. Keyshot is incredibly intuitive. Um, and for anyone that's getting into e-commerce or product development, um, I would say like just download the the Keyshot trial, um, test it out, watch it, watch some YouTube videos on how to use it. Um, and you can get very solid renderings um, with just the basic startup studio and basic materials and get really good work. Um, I would say that the tricky aspect of it um, that does require a fairly decent skill gap is the 3D modeling aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So taking an idea from um, something that you kind of picture in your head for what you want to see in the world and then modeling that in 3D, that that part I would say is probably the one that um, has a quite a bit more of a skill gap. Um, but the key shot is fantastic. So if you already have three models or if you are, you just want to kind of tinker around, I would say fully download the trial. And um, yeah, it's really fun. So then how do I learn how to 3D model something? The the tricky thing is, depending if you want to um, model for production or model for uh, just visuals. If you're just modeling for visuals, Blender can be a decent option. What I find with Blender, though, is that it's very difficult to do design iterations. So Blender is um, basically like a mesh-based um, modeling system. And then a software like Fusion 360, which is what I do for all my modeling, is much more of like in a design for manufacturing type um, 3D modeling. And the benefit of that is that basically every dimension is parametric. So let's say, you know, you have like... Um, designing like a, a stand for something and you find out that like the base material that you're working with is like comes in stock of like 16 inches and your stand is 18 and you're like okay well I need to lower it to 16 so I can use the stock material you need to go in 
edit from 18 to 16, boom, model updates, then you're good to go. Mm. With Blender, that can be kind of tricky. Um, but is it is once you learn Blender, it can be quite quick as far as generating. The way I think about it is almost kind of like Blender is like sketching in 3D, and then Fusion 360 is like actually designing it for production. So what I'm thinking right now is just my only experience would be my engineering friends with like CAD and 3D yeah. modeling. It looked very intense when I would see them doing it, like the math yeah. that was required, all of that. So are these yeah. software programs taking away some of the math requirement? Fusion 360 can be as complex as needed, but it, it can also be as simple as needed too. So what I mean by that is like, you can go into to Fusion 360 and just um, like model a soda can like pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But if you needed to do like crumple testing with like, um, you know, uh, sort of finite element analysis on the material strength of that, um, it can still do all that. It's quite a bit more of a complex process um, and it has the, the ability to do that, but it, it kind of keeps that on its own sort of like tab. So it's like when you're modeling, you don't have to really worry about like, oh, do I need to, you know, run some FAA on this or something? It's just, um, it, it kind of gives you what you need for, for the basics. And then if you need more, you can, you can access it. Okay. So I think it would be helpful to go through a product that many people that are listening to this will be aware of, which is Brosidens B4, which you helped him create the marketing for, the packaging for. And so could we just walk through like what that process looked like? So Brosiden comes to you with an idea. What happens next? Yeah, Brosiden is a man, yeah. yeah. Um, so he actually reached out to me. It was just like, hey, dude, I love your work. Um, here's this product I'm working on. Do you think I could... Uh, have you do like the packaging for it and I was like absolutely like 100% and so basically he he actually already had um you know kind of like the logo and and some of the assets ready um and basically just was like want something like high-end um but also kind of sleek and minimalist mm -hmm. um and then provided me with like kind of the guidelines for what the packaging the actual specs of the packaging themselves and um so I was like, yeah, cool. So modeled the pack so that you know he had like a a three representation of the pack and and could texture it and you know make cool layouts and stuff. Um, and then just tried to basically design the packaging uh, kind of like with you know, sort of like blacks and contrasting bright colors and just sort of like a more of a like a clean kind of high end vibe. Mm -hmm. A little bit less. Um, less busy than like a lot of the like electrolyte powders you yeah. see on the market where it's like the yes. whole thing is just like pillar and just text <laughs> and everything you know just wanted to make it kind of more um more sleek you know and so he comes to you with this idea you model up the packaging and you just basically say this is what i think would be a good option and was there like an iteration process did you have to change yeah. the design for manufacturing reasons or is there, are there um, other considerations like that there was some iteration, but it was kind of more aesthetic. Um, so uh, I started out with like sketches. Um, and so I set up some sketches on kind of like rough um, color block layouts and text layouts and stuff. Had the idea of basically doing like a mood board with all sorts of different images around the theme. And one of them was the periodic table. And I thought it was really cool to have like an element tile. Mm -hmm. 
from the periodic table and it's like number one and it's like b4 it's like mm-hmm. the element of like just sort of like core elemental aspects of the chemistry behind it and then sort of built the the rest of the packaging around that that idea um and then uh actually used mid-journey to create some of the the fruit visualization so mm. like um wanted to create that like really juicy with little like water drops on it mm-hmm. um type of art and um so just did a bunch of uh mid-journey until I got something cool and then um yeah just kind of pieced it all together did a really um sharp contrast uh, mm-hmm. color blocks on the ends um for easy you know if you're just opening the box you can easily pick whichever one you want um and yeah we actually got to uh, finished design pretty quickly yeah it's super cool and it turned out fantastic like the first oh, thing thanks. i saw was like this is like this looks like an apple product it's so so oh, well awesome. designed but oh, um man, <laughs> so something i've always wondered is like i'm a quant like i do math creativity i always thought was not in my wheelhouse do you think people are hardwired for creativity design marketing or do you think it's a skill that people can learn how to do? I'm a little bit 50-50 on it. I mean, the the politically correct thing for me to say would be like, oh, everybody can learn it, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, right. like, hey, we're all winners. <laughs> um, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, though. Um, but I, I, I do think that it is a learnable skill. Um, but I do think um, that there is... I don't know if I don't want to say maybe it's like a genetic component or just a um there's a lot about skill that we don't really understand, I think. Um and whatever that creative uh sort of aspect is, it seems like it is somewhat genetically like transferred. Um and it's hard to tell what's nature and nurture and mm-hmm. all that. Because you, you see these families with like huge musical lineages right. right and they can like play the violin at like four years old and it's not there's no logical reason why they should play the violin at four years old you know mm-hmm. um and i'm actually glad you asked this question because i have done some research into my um ancestry just out of curiosity um because um quite a few years ago i started to realize that like um what was for me just sort of like an just a normal thing which is that if i see an idea i can immediately picture how she packaged how she marketed what it should look like how to sell it like best demographic like my brain just immediately goes from like idea to like finished product in like 30 seconds and i thought that was just like normal and then after talking with, you know, a lot of people in business and startups and stuff, um, they commented that, you know, that, that like I had a sort of a unique um, skill set in this area. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. So I, as I was researching my ancestry, like it's literally all inventors. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I have like, I think we have like um, great, great, grandfather or something is like some of his stuff is like in the smithsonian and i had no idea and yeah it's all like swiss german inventors and um 
So I, I would say, I think there is, there can be predisposition to creativity, but um, I think that you can learn creativity by basically immersing yourself in the design process and looking at things that you think are really good design and like understanding, okay, how, how do they get to that? Um, and so I, I think it's, it's doable for everybody um, with the caveat that um, there, there are, you know, sort of genetic differences across everybody with every skill um, in, in how easy it is to like get to that point. Yeah, I think I agree with that. The reason why I ask is because in college, we all had to take a fine art class. And since mm -hmm. I am not artistically suited, I took a design class instead of like painting or drawing. And yeah. it was all about ethnographic research and designing the solutions to problems, but it was still a fine art class. And the first day of class, the professor was like, a lot of you probably don't think you are creative, but creativity is a muscle. And at the very least, you can improve that muscle. You can 100%, yeah. make yourself more adaptable and think bigger than you were previously, even yeah, if you're not going to be a painter. Perfectly stated. Totally. Yeah. That class was so cool. It was such a pain in the ass, but it was so <laughs> cool. We were in the lab till like 10 p.m. And I'm like, this is my oh, fine man. art class. I could be in like poetry 101. <laughs> but anyways, um, I think the one of the cooler things I learned in that class was iteration and like fast prototyping mm, because totally we had a prompt where we needed to make something to help kids improve studying on campus or something mm. and we were all like focusing on getting this piece of the project in the exact right way and measuring it about the hinge and the professor comes over and she pushes a piece of cardboard in half and she goes here's your hinge like figure out the rest of it stop designing the hinge you started 10 minutes ago just like the getting quicker to the is this actually what we want to make is this going to yeah, make awesome. is this going to solve the problem and yeah. so i think going into my day job where i'm a consultant you wouldn't think that that's very artistic either that's all we do all day long is like test hypothesis figure mm -hmm. out improve it and so that's what i think of when i think of creativity now that's awesome yeah yeah yeah, because um, Elon has this great quote where he's like, um, one of the worst mistakes engineers made is optimizing something that shouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think, so I wish I could draw and I wish I could paint. Maybe I'll get to it. I took art uh, drawing my senior year just for fun. So there is that. But Well, I, I think that's one of the cool things about mid-journey is that um, regardless of your skill level in terms of drawing, what Midjourney can do is basically allow you to get like 90% of the way there. And then all you have to do is um, bump up your Photoshop skills mm -hmm. and and kind of like just do some, some like basic edits and stuff. And um, yeah, you can really, you can generate some some pretty insane artwork with mid-journey mid-journey photoshop it's, it's a great uh great equalizer do you do a lot with video editing and producing like animations um only for product stuff so i don't do a lot of complex animation um i'm obviously if a client needs it i'm happy to learn whatever is needed for for the project but um currently i haven't done a ton of animation it's most mostly just um 
sort of turntable animations for mm. for products with like cool lighting um mm. you know for ads and stuff like that um but i would love to get into it and i think you know um as i as i get into youtube and stuff um i'll probably have to learn autom animation for you know intro scenes and stuff like that so yeah yeah i was just thinking that if i could do that with ai or mid journey and make it look a lot better than some stick figures like it would save me a bunch of time and also totally. A cooler intro so yeah. I think that's definitely something I want to invest more time in cool. but you mentioned YouTube so what is kind of your plan with starting out a YouTube channel now yeah um you know I I created uh the AI art um master guide and I uh, you know was reaching out to a lot of YouTubers and um and so I don't know if maybe people know this but like I have very, very, very generous um, affiliate program for my guide. Mm. Um, and so um, I was reaching out to all these YouTubers and pretty much all of them except for one basically completely ignored me. And coming from like a business background, I, I was just completely like flummoxed because I just did like the the quick numbers on like a conversion rate for like a, an average video on some of these guys' channels. And in the AI art space, you know, you get a video that would do like 100,000 views and it's mm -hmm. 100,000 views of people who are on a, a channel that might have like 30,000 subscribers. So your, your view to subscriber ratio like that, like shows that there's a lot of organic intent, right? Mm -hmm. And um, running the conversion rate, I was like, like people could just make one video and make like 50 grand you know <laughs> it's like, it's like i was like just it made absolutely no sense to me so i was like well i just i honestly just kind of got annoyed i was like i was going to do this and <laughs> and so i was like and then the more i started thinking about it um i was like man this could be really cool because i one of the things that i really enjoy is um helping people be able to turn an idea that's in their head into physical reality because for me that is like the highest satisfaction thing I can ever do is get an idea from my head and see it in like physical reality right and um and helping people be able to to do that would be like super fun um and there's so many ways to use art and design and technology to create and then sell online um that it it seems like it's basically limitless opportunity for for content and then also from a purely business standpoint you know if you're looking at like rpm cpm on videos um you know finance and business and um design basically teaching people how to make mm -hmm. money is mm -hmm. a very profitable cpm for youtube so um, yeah, it seemed like a good fit. Absolutely. And you have the full stack of products so they can watch you for free and you make money off the ad revenue. Then yeah, it's exactly. like, okay, this guy really knows what he's doing. I'm going to buy his guide. Then you buy the guide. Yeah. And then they're like, wow, I need this guy on retainer. Then they yeah. hire you for consultants. So it's, you have the good, <laughs> exactly. better, best model already set up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's where you want to be people. I think, um, YouTube and just especially shorts, like I'm picturing you, quickly showing like a sketch that becomes a 
Photoshop that becomes a 3D model that becomes a full product or something in like a one minute totally. short. Like those yeah. are going to go so viral and anything yeah. that's a how-to, I've seen people be so successful. So I, I have very high awesome. hopes and I will absolutely subscribe because I want Sweet. your skill set. <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. Cool, thanks. Yeah. Um, is there another product that you think was a cool story about how you went from the idea or the prompt to the final product? So the primary product that, you know, was um, uh, the success during the, the, the startup grind years um, basically was in the, in the gaming industry. It was, a, it was a plastic product. And so in order to make that business work, I designed the plastic product in um, SolidWorks. And so I learned how to do um, draft analysis, how to, um, you know, design the plastic product with correct wall thicknesses um, so that it could be um, injection molded. Um, just a ton of like uh, analysis that went into mm -hmm. creating the actual product itself. Then after we did the Kickstarter, um, I had to learn um, mold design as well. Um, so it was too expensive to hire a, a mold designer. And um, as part of our team, we had a guy that basically had like 30 years of plastics um, manufacturing experience. And so I basically told him like, just teach me everything you know about how to design injection molds. And he's like, all right, cool. And so I basically designed five massive injection molds um, from scratch. I think they weighed like two or 3,000 pounds. And um, so, and, and so as part of that, I got SolidWorks certified. I uh, learned FEA, I learned just a ton of stuff um, in injection mold design. And um, then when we got our first injection parts off the, the machine, um, it, it was so satisfying because spent so much time um, going through every temperature analysis, every like expectation of how the material was going to react in the mold um, to um, compensate for shrinkage and everything. Mm -hmm. And the first part came off and it was like perfectly flat. <laughs> and it was so satisfying. <laughs> that business basically was how I got into Tesla because I, um, you know, I'd done the product design, the injection molding design, the packaging design. I basically had done every single aspect of the entire product business. And the Tesla shop, you know, um, was at the time just kind of needing somebody to come in and, and um, you know, streamline a lot of the operational processes. And, uh, you know, since I had done all of them personally, um, you know, it was much easier to come in and, and sort of help out with that. Super cool. So now I have to wonder, how did you end up in the jungle? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I've been following a lot of the Bowtie people for quite a while. And um, when I left Tesla, I I was bored in like a week. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, I just honestly looking back, I should have just like, just never left. It just like done all this stuff in the evenings because I was <laughs> I was so bored. Um, and so like a weekend, I was just like, oh, I just want to go 
make something. So I was like, oh, it'd be really fun to join the Bowtie Jungle. And so I reached out to a possum and I was like, hey, like, what's what's like the process? Um, do I need to like check in with anybody or can I just like add like Bowtie to my name or what, you know? And he was really nice and was like, oh no, don't worry about it. Just, you know, you can change your your current handle the bow tie or make a new one whatever you want so it's all right cool so i just um uh, i wanted a handle that was um kind of general enough to describe what i wanted to bring to the jun the jungle even though it wasn't like an animal um and so then i and i just made my profile picture like a chihuahua or something that's so funny. I, a ton of people don't know how to quote unquote join. I emailed Bowtie Bull literally, yeah. <laughs> and he responded and said, you're good. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's so cool. And I also relate to not being an animal. Uh, yeah. Think, yeah. You gotta be, you gotta make yourself a little different in this jungle. of animals. Yeah. Yeah. Get a little, but, a little distinction. Um, what has been surprising to you about joining or what did you expect to happen? Do you think you're going to get some clients, maybe make some stuff or a YouTube channel? Um, I was, I was more just like, it was more just out of curiosity and it was kind yeah. of like a fun, a fun thing. And, um, you know, I had some ideas for stuff I wanted to try. And, and so it seemed like also a good trusted network of people to get feedback from, mm -hmm. um, Twitter is a huge mixed bag in terms of, um, quality of skill and talent. Mm-hmm. And the Bowtie Jungle is kind of like a a way to filter <laughs> to people who are actually good at their skill. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was it was just kind of um, a cool community to be a part of, and obviously something that I believed in philosophically in terms of financial independence and um, you know uh, freedom from uh, oversight and things like that. <laughs> I don't want to get too, too political, but generally speaking, just, um, <laughs> the, the mindset of, uh, you know, I, I won't bother you if you won't bother me sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like there are two kind of lanes in the jungle. There are the people who have already made it and they're looking for a new challenge or something new and interesting to work on and also to like mm -hmm. provide mentorship. And then there's the people like me who are hungry and grinding and trying to learn as much as possible. So I'm always interested as to why people like yourself and Gator and Broke decide to make a Twitter account. Like you didn't need this, you know? So yeah. what drove you to do it? Um, yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I think there's something inherently satisfying about just creating something new. And it, it's an easily organized way of basically providing people with content and mm -hmm. um help right so like um thinking in terms of like a business um so i have a, a site coming out soon and basically it's a like a single link that i can send to people and then it has essentially all of my recommendations for literally everything so mm -hmm. like um a lot of my friends um you know they'll text me for like advice on like style or um what kind of gear they should get for backpacking mm -hmm. or something like that um because i i really enjoy just going down massive rabbit holes and finding like the absolute best like possible thing that is on planet earth for the specific niche use case <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's kind of like that where it's like basically one channel that 
people can go to and for whatever skill set you have they can find all of that information like in one location which is mm-hmm. kind of a way of like or- organizing it basically yeah totally and i mean for me like people respond to your dms which is always so crazy to me so invaluable to me and i never yeah. i never saw that when i made an account i was trying to make mm-hmm. how can i make a hundred dollars with an anonymous account every month i did not think yeah. long term about the breadth and depth of knowledge that would be accessible to me and so i think that is what i've learned the most from and then also yeah, that's just awesome garnering a willingness to suffer so yes yeah that is a very very critical critical asset to learn for sure <laughs> yeah the, the dms are where the magic happens honestly will you answer any dm that comes your way or do you want to like interact with that oh, yeah. person before you have no problem with it yeah no no problem i i um the only dms i, I don't respond to are the ones that go into like the request folder where they're yep. like Boxing. hey uh you know i've I've brought my client to 40,000 MMR, MRR, uh, you know, I can do the same for you. I'm like, bro, I have nothing. Like, did you even read my profile? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've gone somewhere. They asked me like, we're publicists for podcasts. Like your pod, your podcast doesn't get enough views. It's better than it should be. Or like, you're not doing a good job at marketing it. I'm like, so harsh to try to get that <laughs> so you could just say like, like hey we think, think like we can help like, you out nagging <laughs> thing works for like dms is like oh man some Twitter guru is saying being mean in the dms and that's how you get business yeah. and i'm too fragile for that <laughs> but um awesome and so my other last question in regards to just like the product manufacturing would you recommend that let's say someone has an e-com product in mind, like a, a little widget or a gadget, should they learn the whole process of plastic molds and testing and getting it approved by whatever regulatory body needs to approve it? Or should they just go to someone like you and pay for it? Um, I mean, it, obviously this is like a biased answer because <laughs> I have like a design <laughs> consultancy, but um, I mean, objectively, speaking um so my my um my monthly design rate for basically unlimited design requests is like two thousand dollars so like i mean you can't even hire like any designer for forty eight thousand dollars a year you know it's like yeah it's like just a ridiculous value um and and in the pricing will probably I'm guessing like, well, you, I think probably once I get like three more clients, I'm probably going to raise my price again because um, it, it is like a just an absurd value. But I wanted to provide, um, you know, the people in our network and, and um, you know, people, sort of like the early adopters, um, I wanted to make the value so um, obvious and like no brainer that that it would just it would allow me to like prove the value to, to them. Totally. Um, and so I think in terms of value per dollar, um, it's definitely much simpler to work with someone who has, um, you know, extensive amount of skill in that area because, um, you know, I, I've already made like all of the mistakes that can be made for plastic injection molded, you know, mm-hmm. and thankfully I made them before the actual parts got injected, you know, and so it actually <laughs> worked. Um, but there's the the benefit of paying for skill 
is reducing suffering for, on your end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's like, do I want to suffer for four months for free or pay $2,000 a month for four months and basically have it all taken care of, you know? And get a better uh, end result. Yeah, and get a better result, you know, so yeah. Yeah, it's not a hard math problem in my head. Yeah. But just wanted to <laughs> walk through it slowly. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that for something that a physical product, I don't think I would ever, well, I won't say ever, but I don't think I would invest the time in trying to manufacture that on my own. The one thing I think that people really should learn is Photoshop, like rendering, um, mid journey. So all of that is in your guide on like the basics of learning all of that type of thing. Or is there another way that you would recommend people learn? Uh yeah, so for Midjourney specifically, um, that's in the guide. I I was contemplating adding in some Photoshop stuff, but the, the tricky thing with Photoshop is that it's kind of a little bit of a, like once you start teaching somebody something, like there's so much to learn within Photoshop, you kind of almost have to have like a separate guide specifically for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to be that that is like one of the products we'll be coming out with um, okay. that will be also marketed on the YouTube channel. Um, and it will be basically a Photoshop guide specifically targeted on like the most efficient way to, um, you know, edit your AI art, basically all the core skills that you'll need to create e-commerce and content creation content. So um, isolating products from the background, um, you know, adding studio backgrounds, basically really targeting the niche towards only those skills that will, will have like the highest ROI for your business. Mm. You're going to absolutely print money. Awesome. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, thank oh my you. goodness. Thank you for the, for the vote of confidence. Yeah, no, sure. absolutely. Um, well, this has been a blast. I've learned a ton. So for those who are listening, where would you direct them now? Obviously to your Twitter account, but what's in the pipeline that they should be looking for? I have the AI Art Guide, which is at uh, theaiartguide.com. And then also um, you can um, hire me for any of your design work you need um, at makerdesign.studio. Um, and that's a monthly subscription. And then you can pay for it with a credit card so you get the miles for your business. Um, and then it's all automated. And then you can pause it and resume it at any time. So you basically, it, it makes it very easy to um, get design when you need a lot of design work done, pause it. And then, you know, a month later, resume it again, get a lot of design work done. Um, so the, the idea is just to make it as, as simple and mm -hmm. uh, seems as possible to provide good design work. Awesome. So thank you again so much for coming on. Thank and you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been yet another episode of Common Sense. If you liked the conversation, please consider hitting that follow button on Spotify. Oh, and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same. And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups you dislike. You have a great day now.